Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. All right. So here we are again. The last few weeks we have been talking about mindfulness and insight for those who've been around and exploring some of the differences between these two meditation practices. Mostly what we're talking about here is traditional Buddhist insight meditation as we see it in the Eightfold Path and more contemporary mindfulness meditation uh, that we're starting to get used to just in pop culture and psychology and medicine. Um, The main difference being mindfulness meditation has the goal of presence And in insight meditation, there is much more exploration done in the practice. It has a broader, uh, broader reach and a much more integrated and complex intention. So we've been talking a little bit about that over the last few weeks. And where we've come to in our exploration is to get down to practice for one. So I'm excited about that. But I wanted to just give a last little context here to talk about what we're going to be practicing and why we're practicing it. So when we talked about insight and mindfulness, one of the things that I mentioned was that we have these two enlightenment factors. One is equanimity, which is our passive factor, the factor that says let go, be present, accept what is. Uh, It's our non-reactive, non-judgmental quality of the heart that leans into whatever is arising and embraces it, you know, extends awareness to it and really feels into Whatever it is that's arising, whether it's emotions or feelings or thoughts or body sensations or just a circumstance, for example, we just we lean in and we hold that space and we try to just be present with it to understand, you know, what it's doing, where it's going. So that's our equanimity factor. And then there's this other factor of enlightenment called investigation. Investigation sometimes is called curiosity. Uh, I like to call it investigation because I think it's a better translation and it speaks more to an action because the investigative factor of enlightenment is really an exploration. It is a curious, interesting or interested type energy. It's leaning into the present moment and asking some questions sometimes. It's observing cause and effect. It's looking at the connection between thoughts and emotions and feelings It's looking at the role we play in shaping our experience. It's a very um, creative, it has a lot of room for spontaneity and improvisation in our practice. It's where we can kind of customize our practice moment to moment. Um, It's a little bit harder than some of the other qualities of enlightenment because it takes a little bit more practice. And uh, since there's more creativity, we have to experiment more. We have to get into it and practice it and try different things. So we can get a feel for how it works. And moment to moment, investigation might look different depending on what's arising. So it really takes some intention to learn about this part of the path, which is why most of the time it's simply left out. um, And we just don't hear a lot of people talking about it. 
so I really want to get into this part of the path because I feel like it provides, well, I know it provided for me a greater balance in my practice, greater concentration, um, and a way deeper understanding about uh, the Buddha's sort of claim to liberation, like what liberation really means in the context of traditional Buddhism. So for me, it's a hugely important thing uh, to understand. And as a teacher, I've it's been challenging to try to figure out a way of teaching it because it is quite complicated. So um, here we are like four weeks later still talking about it. So I don't know. I, I'm hoping it's coming through. There's a lot of ways of looking at it, but we're going to take one more crack at it tonight uh, with a little bit more practice. And so hopefully it'll come home for you folks and uh, we'll just keep we'll just keep working on it till we get it. So let me just start with a little bit of context about this concept of fabrication, because this is where we are. We're in this context of investigation and fabrication. So I wanted to start just by saying this. We we know as, as Dharma folks um, that we're all interconnected. It's something that we hear often in the Dharma. Um, it comes up quite a bit as a catchphrase uh, in Buddhism that we're all connected. We're all living beings are interconnected and we form this uh, living web, so to speak. And it's a beautiful way of looking at the world, certainly. The challenge with it is that oftentimes these kind of phrases become kind of rote for us. We sort of see them on kind of Hallmark cards, you know, in the Dharma. We see them on Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, we're all interconnected. We're all one, these type of phrases. And after a while, we sort of lose touch with what they really mean in regards to practice. Like, what does it really mean to say we're interconnected for a meditator? And what does it mean for us to do if we acknowledge that we're interconnected. So I wanted to explore that a little bit. And I wanted to start by saying, one of the challenges of interconnectedness is that even though we can say it in the moment and maybe feel good about it, most of the time we're not really acting as if we're really interconnected with all things. And part of it is just being human. Human beings sort of have this sense, this inner sense that we are in the world, not of the world. And what I what I mean by that is like we have this sense that we're sort of born into the environment rather than the fact that we come out of the environment. So, you know, you look at it like a spider on a web. Oftentimes we see ourselves as the spider rather than a thread in the web. We're actually embedded in the environment itself. We are we are embedded in the world rather than looking at it like uh, we're action figures, so to speak, and we're put into a little set, right? Like, and we move around. Because we walk on the world and we can move around, it's like we're, you know, I guess chess pieces on a board, but we don't see how interconnected we are with the board itself. And so for humans, we sort of walk around and we live our lives as if we're inside the world, but separate rather than intimately connected with all things. And it's really challenging to live that experience without some continuous meditation practice. We can think about it and sort of conceptualize it and kind of understand it, but practically speaking, to live with that understanding takes quite a bit of intention and effort and definitely, for the most part, some meditation work. Because we're integrated into the fabric of reality, the world is constantly impacting us and we are constantly impacting the world. With each breath, with each movement, with each heartbeat, we change and the world changes. Literally, with each breath, the inner 
the outer part of what we say is the world becomes the inner, and then the exhale, the inner becomes the outer. And we have this intimate relationship with the ecosystem itself. Every breath changes us and changes the world. So our very breathing, right, our very consumption of being a human being alters reality. And this happens moment to moment, moment to moment with each breath, with each heartbeat, with each uh, step on the planet. As we move through the world, we're changing the world as we go. We are not static and the world is not static. So to be interconnected is to really honor the fact that everything that we do impacts reality and everything that happens in the world ultimately is impacting us on some level. So this intimate interconnectivity is really what the Dharma is about when it comes to this part of the meditation. You might think of it like a giant steering wheel and all human beings have their hands on this giant steering wheel. Now, we can tug and pull at the steering wheel and we all are able to pull on the wheel, but everyone's also pulling on the wheel. So even though we have, say, will, so to speak, or intention, like I might want to pull the wheel to the right and someone else might want to pull the wheel to the left, the fact is all of us are in this giant soup of interconnectedness. And so my actions are affecting your actions and your actions are affecting my actions. And I might want to go one way and you might want to go another way, whether this is socially or politically or psychologically. So we're all in this sort of... Uh, I was about to say gentle tug of war, but I don't know. These days it's not so gentle, so maybe that's the wrong wrong metaphor. But the fact is we are all engaging and interacting with each other. So being interconnected means that there is this pull and push back and forth between all beings. And everything we do, everything we say, everything we think changes the world because we are embedded in it. So our presence matters. Our presence in the world and how we show up in the world really matters. That is part of the depth and profundity of really accepting the fact that we're interconnected. Because once we're interconnected, we then realize, wow, how I think, how I act, how I love, this matters. It impacts everybody. And I want to show up as a kind, loving, wise human being. So the impact I have is positive. So what does this mean in regards to the Dharma? So let's, let's take a little turn of the wheel here and move into the Dharma proper. This mutual interaction between all beings, this creative energy, if you will, that each of us brings to the moment, brings to our life, this creative energy that we have is called fabrication by the Buddha. Fabrication is what we create in ourselves in response to the world. It's our creative engagement with life itself. Sankara is what they call it in the Pali. To exist is to create because we can't not engage because we're embedded in the world. So living is a creative act. Living is a creative act. It's an act of fabrication, meaning co-creation of reality with all other beings. And so the Buddha has this word fabricate, which means the creative energy of human being, how we be in the world and how we respond and how we engage. It's basically the stream of our karma. It's the karmic wake we leave behind moment to moment. It is important in the Dharma because we're always engaged 
in reality and not separate from it, human beings fabricate happiness and fabricate suffering or dukkha. What we experience psychologically is dukkha or what we experience as happiness. Now, let me qualify this. I'm not talking about the happiness of enlightenment. I'm talking about the day-to-day experience. The day-to-day experience of discontent and the day-to-day experience of happiness is a creative act, is a fabrication, is sankara. It is that way because we are interconnected, because we're engaged in the world. So this becomes really powerful. This becomes truly profound when we begin to see that as we move through our day, we have some choice on how we lean into that wheel, how we turn it, where we uh, show our strength, if you will, which direction do we try to pull our world or our own being, for that matter, day to day. Another aspect of this is that this fabricative, creative energy of the human spirit is mostly unconscious. So we have habit patterns that we've inherited from the very beginning of being alive, and we are engaging in the world for the most part non-consciously. And we do this just because it's easier for evolution, right? We can't be we can't be paying attention to everything. We have to be able to live our day and get through our day without thinking about all the things we need to do and so on and so forth. But most of what we're doing is unconscious, is non-conscious. So we are creating ourselves in the world based on ignorance, meaning non-conscious behavior patterns that we've inherited from the past, from what we call past karma coming into the present moment. Because so much of our fabrication of human being is unconscious, so much of the Dharma is about making these habits conscious, intentionally living in a particular way, thinking intentionally, loving intentionally, relating intentionally. Being mindful means engaging the world intentionally, using that creative act of being a human, but doing it with a positive intention. And when you look at all of the teachings, all of the teachings of the Eightfold Path, all of the tools, all of the meditations, um, all the tips, all the tricks, every aspect of the Eightfold Path, which I guess I could just say them, mindfulness, concentration, uh, our skillful effort, we've got uh, wise view, we've got uh, wise speech, wise action, wise intention, all of these different things are all examples of acts of self-creation. They're all acts of fabrication, meaning the Dharma is a way of creatively living in the world. It's an intentional choice to live a certain way. Everything we do in the Dharma changes us. Every mindful act changes us. Every intention of generosity and compassion and wakeful living changes who we are as a person. Every moment I'm mindful makes me into a different kind of person in the next moment. So the Dharma is a creative act. It is an act of co-creation of who we are as people in the world. Except in this case, the Eightfold Path has the intention of fabricating a life that's filled with joy and equanimity and wisdom. So we're already creating a life for ourselves, but most of the time we're doing it unconscious. The Eightfold Path is an invitation to fabricate a life with intentionality. That's really the overarching scope of all of the meditation practices. 
in the Dharma. And to remind you just what we said earlier about being embedded in the world, all of the meditation qualities and tools of the Dharma, even the ones that are very passive, like equanimity or letting go, are still active in that they change us, right? There's no meditation act that is non-active in some way because we're always in the world. So everything we do changes us and changes the way we exist in the world. And that takes a quite a while to really accept, I find, as, as meditators. Because when we really accept that, suddenly we have this higher bar of taking responsibility for how we are day to day, moment to moment. Because we realize we truly can wake up and live a life of gratitude and generosity and live a life where we show up with the intention to serve other people so they too can be liberated. Everything we do in the Dharma is creative and active and transformative. Even the most passive qualities, all of the tools of the Eightfold Path are a form of fabrication. Self-creation is essentially what meditation does. Of all the tools in the path, the investigation quality, the investigation enlightenment factor is the one that is designed to really help us understand this potential we have to fabricate reality, to take part or participate actively in who we are as human beings. The other heart-mind qualities do as well, but this concept of investigation this heart-mind quality of investigation of all the other qualities is designed to really teach us about the nature of fabrication. What it really teaches us is how we are shaping our moment-to-moment -moment experience as we walk through the world. One of the ways it does this is by offering a set of tools where we actually, inside the meditation, change the experience. We fabricate new experiences while meditating as part of the meditation experience to gain a deeper understanding of what we're already doing, remember, unconsciously. But we suddenly, in the meditation, change the experience consciously and intentionally. And what this allows us to do is begin to see how our unconscious habits are actually built how they're actually formed and sustained over time. So essentially what we're doing is we're taking something that's unconscious, practicing it, practicing it unconsciously so we can then do, for, do it in a way that's going to make us happy. That's really what I'm talking about here, if that makes sense. There are three ways that the Buddha describes fabrication under this investigative quality. Or I might put it this way. The enlightenment factor is investigation. The tool we use to investigate is called fabrication. That is, we investigate how the present moment is created by changing it, by participating in it actively. And there's three ways that we do this. And you're familiar with them even if you don't know you are. <laughs> yeah, all of us are familiar with them in some way or another, but they probably haven't been discussed in the way that I'm laying it out. So. There are three different kinds of fabrication that we can use to investigate the nature of our present moment experience. The first one is bodily fabrication. And what this means is we explore 
what role does our body and this breathing body have in our moment-to-moment experience? How does the posture of my body, the feelings in my body, the breathing as it comes in and out, how do these things impact my mood and my thoughts and my moment-to-moment sense of being in the world? As I always like to say, and I'm sure I stole this from Robert, uh, we're embodied beings, right? We are embodied beings breathing. And we, I say that to remind us that the way we breathe and the way we bring awareness to body changes who we are as people moment to moment. The way we hold our posture, right? Whether we have deep breaths or shallow breaths, whether our breaths are long or whether they're short, we have unconscious ways of being physical in the world. And this affects who we are moment to moment. And we can participate in the bodily fabrication to change the way we are. We can build new habits of breathing. We can build new habits of bringing awareness into the body intentionally in ways that set us free rather than keep us in cycle cycles of suffering. This is important, particularly for trauma, because trauma is so stored in the body. So bodily fabrication, and this is what we're going to be practicing tonight. So you're gonna, you'll understand this more in a few minutes, but bodily fabrication. The second part of fabrication is verbal fabrication. Verbal fabrication just means how we talk to ourselves. In psychology, we call it self-talk, right? And we all know this. And if you've ever been to a therapist, then you've heard negative (laughs) self-talk. And most of the time when you're with a therapist, the first thing they try to do is get you to change your negative self-talk. Why? Because how you talk to yourself changes how you feel, right? Those who suffer from depression have certain styles of self-talk. People who suffer from anxiety, like myself, certain styles of self-talk. What the Buddha referred to as verbal fabrication. We create our moods and we create our ways of being by how we talk to ourselves. And the Buddha encouraged us to practice talking to ourselves with love and compassion and generosity, but also talking to ourselves in a way that leads to freedom asking ourselves questions even, such as, is this permanent? That's self-talk. Is this self? Is this moment truly satisfying? Or is it just arising and passing away with a little hint of dukkha? So self-talk is a way of investigating. It's a way of framing our world. And it's a way of asking questions that lead to healing and self-compassion greater self-awareness, and ultimately freedom. So 3,000 years ago, the Buddha would have already understood negative self-talk very well. Uh, It's just called verbal fabrication. All of you have done it. (laughs) All of you have a self-talking voice in there somewhere. And when you're having a really good day, it's cheering you on and supporting you and loving you. And when you're not, it's telling you you failed and you're not good enough and you're never going to be good enough. And it's making you feel like crap. And we can control those habits because so much of our verbal fabrication is inherited. Most of those voices are from culture and from parents and teachers and kids who've teased us and God knows where else that junk comes from. We just download it, right? That kind of stuff just, we download that stuff all the time without even thinking. So bodily fabrication, verbal fabrication, self-talk. And the third one that we have is mental fabrication. 
Mental fabrication is a little more abstract. Uh, we'll get to it next week, but it's about feeling and perceptions. It's about how our feelings change who we are and how through meditation we actually can shift the energy in our body to change how we feel. It's also about labels, how we label things as good or bad or neutral, and how these labels that we inherit tend, up, tend to harm us in some way because we, uh, we stereotype reality, we stereotype people, we have these perceptions that become habits that lead to suffering, and it's hard to get out of the perceptions. But we can. We can build new mental fabrication and take on new habits of perception that can lead us to a much greater ease day to day and ultimately a freedom from suffering, as the Buddha's claim was anyway. So under investigation, we have these three different ways of engaging the meditation. This is part of the enlightenment factor. It's a huge part of insight meditation. And before I go into the actual tool, and then we'll practice it uh, for the, the rest of the evening, I wanted to say one other thing, bringing this back around to the last few weeks. Over the last few weeks, the one thing I've been talking about, again, is the difference between mindfulness meditation and insight. And I just wanted to call to attention uh, this, this observation I've had. If someone is teaching just mindfulness meditation, which is just the one enlightenment factor, most of the time it might be um, conflated or mixed up with equanimity. So, so most of the time mindfulness teachers will teach mindfulness and equanimity as one uh, practice. But if I'm a teacher and I'm teaching that, and my framework is to say that the goal of meditation is just to be present, just accept things as they are, it then makes no sense to fabricate anything. If, I'm, if I think the goal of meditation is not to engage at all, it wouldn't make any sense for me to then teach you how to change what's going on in the meditation, which is why it's left out of that school of practices. It's left out for other reasons too, but if you just think about it, um, I was reading, I was on the Insight Timer today and one of their new courses popped up and it was Introduction to Mindfulness Meditation. That was the title of the course. And in the title, or in the description of the course, it said, the goal of mindfulness meditation is to be present. The goal of insight meditation is not just to be present. It is to be present, to understand the way the present moment is constructed, to then engage the present moment using things like fabrication and the other tools of the Eightfold Path, and to work towards this like bigger goal of freedom. So it makes sense to us if, depending on where we've come into the Buddhist canon and the Buddhist traditions, that if we've been focused on present moment awareness as being the end goal, more than likely the, whoever is teaching is not going to then tell you to then change because that's just in conflict for, with what the experience is intended to be. So that's one reason you may have not come across this part of the Eightfold Path um, because it doesn't make sense to teach it. Another part of the path um, that is often left out is the concentration part of the Eightfold Path, which we know as the jhanas, the states of concentration that produce a lot of bliss uh, and positive sensations. Similarly, the reason jhana practices are so few and far between in the West, 
particularly in North America, is because if you're just practicing mindfulness meditation, you are not going to then practice the jhanas because the jhanas require to understand how to fabricate because they are fabricated experiences. And so oftentimes what has happened in American Buddhism is there has been this sort of backlash and you'll actually see this in articles and magazines. People will say that the jhanas are dangerous or they're addictive or you shouldn't practice them. Or, I mean, I've heard all kinds of crazy stuff um, about the concentration factor of enlightenment. And for the longest time, I couldn't figure out why, why were people saying that? And then I realized, oh, if, if you believe that the end goal is just to be present, then yes, you don't want to be practicing the jhanas. It doesn't make any sense because the jhanas are two other factors of enlightenment that are something you're going to be doing actively and engaged in. And it's, it's not going to be something you can do passively. It's an active part of the practice. Um, so again, uh, as we move towards uh, the next few weeks, I really want to get into practicing these so you can see what I mean, what happens when you practice fabrication and what it does to your meditation and how to use it. Um, let me... Let me do one other thing before we get into practice. Let me tell you exactly, um, let me describe for you just didactically here what some of the tools are of bodily fabrication so you can just think about them and then we'll actually do them. So when you think about your body, remember that bodily fabrication is acknowledging the fact that we are embodied beings that breathe, that breathe, that feel, that think, but primarily the bodily part is breathing. And that breath energy experience that we have with the in-breath, with the out-breath, every moment, sensations lighting up on the body, passing away, lighting up, passing away, changing, the tingling, the prickling, the heat, all of these sensations that aliven the body with each breath. So we're all familiar with that with meditation. But with the bodily fabrication, there's going to be three things, two or three things that we're going to be doing. One, we're going to be investigating what happens when we move awareness differently in the body. What happens when we move awareness differently in the body? What experience arises? So what we can do with that is we can contract awareness to a very small point and investigate what happens in that small area. We can then expand awareness to encompass larger portions of the body. And we can alternate expanding, contracting awareness on different parts of the body and watching and investigating what happens, what changes in the present moment when we use awareness to move, right? To move energy essentially in and around the body. So we can expand and contract awareness. The other thing we can do is that we can change our breathing. We can breathe longer. We can breathe slower. We can time our breathing with awareness and notice how it changes the experience of being a human being moment to moment. As I said earlier, breath is tied to emotion. Our habits of breathing are inherited and emotional habit patterns are locked into the body, oftentimes through breath patterns. So by changing the way we breathe, we can investigate how we experience emotion. When we're scared, shallow breathing up in the chest, 
right? So we can notice how we breathe differently and how emotions change. So we change our breathing when we're engaging in bodily fabrication. Another thing we can do, and I don't, I don't really know how to describe, describe it. I'll just say what it is because there's different ways of talking about it. I think it was Achan Cha. Oh man, I can't remember now. I think it was Achan Cha that called it breath body, breath body awareness. And and what this is, is you take a part of your body like your hand and you bring it into awareness and you just hold it, holding it in awareness, awareness in direct contact with the first foundation, which is body. But as you're holding it, you breathe intentionally as if you're breathing into that part of the body, right? Breathing into that part of the body. Now, of course, it's a metaphor in a sense, right? And it's, so it's not like literal, but at the same time, it's not not literal because as you breathe and you focus awareness, energy moves to that part of the body with each breath. And with each inhale and each exhale, the energy and the sensations of that part of the body will change. So when you come to investigation, I might invite you to bring awareness to the face and then breathe into the face as a whole. With each inhale, with each exhale, we experience the body differently. Or we might bring awareness to the heart or to the belly or the top of the head. And we hold that part in awareness and we breathe into that part of the body. And what we're doing is we're changing our sense of what it is to be physically breathing. And it's just different creative ways to fabricate the experience of embodied being. And the idea behind this, again, is to be curious, to be creative, to be experimental with this part of the practice. And you really want to approach it with beginner's mind. You really want to ask yourself, what happens if I just bring awareness to my knee, my left knee, and breathe and feel? What happens? No answer. You're not looking for a specific answer. You're looking for an experience, an experience of embodied being. And the more you can do this with a beginner's mind, with a sense of interest and curiosity, the easier it is to do and the more fun it will become. Also, the more you can enjoy exploring, really seeing your body as a, I don't know what the word would be, as a opportunity for self-exploration, the stronger your concentration will become and the clearer the mindfulness will become. So again, be creative, be interested, be curious. Fabrication is the most, um, of all the parts of the path, you have the most freedom in this part of the path. It's not very strict. You have a lot of room to be creative. The other parts of the path, as you get more mature in practice, have very specified things you need to do to to essentially progress or mature. But this part of the path gives you the most range of customizing the practice to how you feel in the present moment, which is why I've really enjoyed it personally um, in my own practice. Remember that when you're investigating, the word investigation for us in the West, usually we see it as like cognitive, like a scientist. And that's true, we are exploring like a scientist. But we're not looking for facts. We're not investigating to have a factual discovery. We're looking to have an experience of being human. So we're investigating what is it to be human when I breathe this way? What is it to be human when I move awareness this way? It's Remember that it's an embodied experience of investigation. Now, 
Next week, when we get to verbal fabrication, it's going to be a little bit more heady, a little more conceptual. But even that part of the path, we're not looking for facts. We're looking for experience. We're looking to be human and to investigate our humanity at a deep, intimate level with awareness, body, and breath. So that's bodily fabrication in a nutshell. Okay. All right. Let us do some sitting. I will probably, well, we'll see how it goes. I was just going to say I'll probably talk more than usual because I want to give the instructions. So this will be more of a teaching meditation more than anything, but I want to be able to do it in real time with you all. So uh, let's do what we do. Let's get comfortable. And we'll plop for a bit and investigate what it means to be embodied. All right, let's begin our sit with some long, slow, deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth. And on the exhale, feel deeply into the body, intentionally relaxing the muscles fabricating a sense of ease and well-being. Breathing in deeply, long and slow, full breaths is a way of fabricating a sense of relaxation. It allows us to release some tension and stress as we begin our sit also reminding us that part of the goal of practice is to be at ease, to feel good, to be awake and aware, but to be at rest. Take a moment to notice the body sitting, the body breathing, simply bringing awareness into body is bodily fabrication. We're intending to be awake and aware to the physical nature of our being. With each in-breath and each out-breath, the muscles expand and contract. The energy enlivens in the body. Breathing intentionally is a form of bodily fabrication, creating an experience in the present moment through mindfulness. Mindfulness. 
we might check in with the various parts of the body just to make sure they are all at rest and at ease. Scanning the body with awareness gently, looking for any tension or contraction or aversion, any pain or discontent, any discomfort in posture, If we notice any tension, any discontent at the level of the body, we fabricate a sense of ease by holding that part of the body gently in awareness and breathing. And on the exhale, we intentionally relax the muscles around that area when possible. Deep, nurturing breath. inviting the muscles to let go, to really be at ease. This process is bodily fabrication. Body, breath, and awareness. and invite us to just acknowledge that the body is in fact sitting and that sitting is a posture or form, one that can be felt through awareness. Sitting is one of the sacred postures along with standing, walking, and lying down. The Buddha acknowledges these different postures because the postures contribute to a sense of being. What does it feel like in this moment to be a sitting being? Bringing awareness to the shape of the body and the form. Feet touching floor, hands touching hands. Our butt on the cushion or the chair. Our back against the couch. Contact. Bringing awareness directly into the form of the body and investigating how that feels. Also bodily fabrication. Body, breathing, in-breath, out-breath. Notice the energy 
in the body with each passing breath. Be awake and aware to the sensations. It might be the temperature of the room, a touch of your clothing or your meditation blanket. Notice how with each breath there's some prickling, tingling energy that moves throughout the body. Sometimes it will feel like it's on the surface of the skin, and other times deep in the muscles. But with each breath, the body lights up with life, energy, Vedana, sensations. And we can bring awareness to these sensations moment to moment. the body taken in as a whole, this vibrating, energetic form, sitting, breathing. We might investigate a bit by changing the breath. We might do a few long breaths, followed by a few short breaths. We might gently change the pace of the breath the depth of the breath, while noticing how this changes the life sensations moment to moment as we experience them directly in awareness at the level of the body. Take a minute or two to be curious, creative with your breathing, Notice what happens in awareness. Awareness is free to move throughout the body. Breath energy free to move throughout the body, moment to moment changing. As mindfulness becomes clearer, as concentration becomes more refined, your ability to notice changes in breath energy will become easier to notice clearer in awareness. You might invite yourself to bring awareness to a particular part of the body. You might choose to investigate the top of the head, 
bringing awareness gently to the top of the head and really being curious, what does it feel like in this moment? What can you actually feel? some noticing of sensations held in awareness. You might engage in bodily fabrication by intentionally breathing into that part of the body, imagining each in-breath coming into the head, feeling filling the body with breath energy, and on the exhale we imagine the breath leaving the head evaporating into the space around the room. Just noticing, holding the top of the head in awareness and breathing gently into that part of the body. With a sense of curiosity, a sense of interest, but as always with relaxation and ease. might then move awareness to the location on the body often referred to as the third eye, the little space at the top of the nose between the eyebrows. It's a smaller space and requires a little intention to be held in awareness. Practicing holding smaller parts of the body in awareness increases the enlightenment factor of concentration. Bringing awareness to the third eye and breathing into that part of the body, fabricating a new experience. mind may wander at any time during any type of meditation. When it does, we just easily and effortlessly invite the mind back to our chosen object. No need to go to war with the mind. 
no need for negative self-talk. It's just what happens. Minds wander, and minds come back. We might move awareness again to the area we often refer to as the throat. A little bit bigger than the third eye, but smaller than the top of the head. Holding the throat in awareness and breathing. Imagining that breath energy coming into the neck, filling the whole body with relaxation and ease. And on the exhale, Imagining that breath energy leaving the throat again and evaporating into the room around us. Noticing, always curious, interested. What does the body feel like when I breathe into that part? We always keep in mind that it's easy to get down on ourselves. We might be clinging or craving to have a certain experience in this moment, and not getting the experience we want, aversion arises. Concern, frustration, doubt. We just remind ourselves we're just here to explore, to engage, to wonder what's going on on this part of the body, on that part of the body. Different ways of feeling human as embodied beings. We might move awareness down to the heart. The heart area, sometimes referred to as the heart chakra. We might bring that part of this body in awareness and gently hold it. Take a few long, deep breaths and just notice what sensations are there. What does the heart part of the body feel like in this moment?
chest area is also a really helpful part of the body to experiment with expanding and contracting awareness itself. We can be aware of the heart area, but then we can gently expand the area of awareness to cover the whole chest, the whole upper part of the torso. Notice if there are other sensations further out from the heart, around the heart area. A larger object of concentration, still held gently in awareness. We can breathe into the whole upper part of the chest. We might just intend to be curious how it feels, the difference when the awareness is expanded to a larger part of the body, how it feels when it contracts to a smaller part of the body. This is bodily fabrication, exploring the nature of embodied being intentionally, actively, but with awareness, mindfulness, and equanimity. We might expand awareness further to include not only the heart and the whole chest, but also the belly and the abdomen the whole front part of the torso held in awareness. Noticing what life sensations arise and pass away with each breath. Noticing with the subtlest gentle curiosity, just being interested, what is so right here, right now? in this part of the body? And how does it change with each passing breath? might then contract awareness again, bringing it back just to the heart. Holding the heart gently in awareness and taking a few long, slow, deep breaths, imagining the heart being filled with relaxation and ease nourishing breath energy, 
any time on any part of the body. We can always experiment with breathing faster or slower, more shallow, less deep, finding a way of breathing that brings us to ease and well-being. In some moments, shallow breathing might feel soothing, but on occasion we take a longer, deeper breath just to see how that feels. Changing it up gently as a way of investigating the connection between awareness, breath, and body sensations, breath energy. Awareness can also move. We can sweep through the body with awareness, creating a different sense of bodily fabrication. Once again, let's bring the whole body back into awareness. Bringing awareness to the posture of sitting. How does it feel now to be sitting? After 20 minutes or so of meditation, what sensations do you notice now? In this moment, right here, right now, what does it feel like to be sitting and how do you know it? Bringing awareness directly into form is called bodily fabrication. Again, noticing the curve of the hands and the uprightness of the body. You might take in the heaviness of the head, feeling it on the top of the spine. Noticing the shoulders as they support the upper body. This sitting body breathing. Bringing mindfulness to each moment changes the moment inherently changes the sense of self that arises next, changes how we think and feel and breathe. Mindfulness is an act of self-creation, self-exploration. It is an act of fabrication, co-creating the experience of the present moment. Let us practice moving awareness around 
let's start at the feet, or at least the part of the body we call feet. Bring both feet into awareness and breathe. Notice the sensation of having feet in this moment. And then allow awareness to gently move up the legs, exploring, investigating the shape of the legs, really feeling into them. What does it feel like to have legs in this moment? As you breathe in, imagine that breath starting in the feet moving all the way up the legs, the calves, the knees, the thighs, filling our legs with breath energy. Filling both legs with awareness. And by doing this, we fabricate a different sense of being. We bring awareness further up the body, through the hips. We bring awareness up through the belly and the chest and the heart once again. Filling the upper torso with breath and awareness. Noticing all the sensations there, the life energy of embodied being. we sweep, as we say, or brush awareness around to the low back. We move awareness up the spine into the shoulders, really noticing what it feels like to move awareness through the body. A self-knowledge quite intimate and unique body itself held in awareness. You might sweep awareness from the hands up into the shoulders, noticing sensations as awareness moves, shaping the body with the mind. Bringing awareness through the forearms and the elbows, the biceps and triceps. Bringing awareness into the shoulders. And you might investigate a little bit by trying this. Just gently allow awareness to drift from the shoulders, down the arms into the hands, and back up again, from the hands through the arms, back to the shoulders. You can do this at any pace, fast or slow. You 
could even time it with your breathing if you like. Again, this is all bodily fabrication, exploring physicality through breath, body, and awareness. You might take slow breaths and on the in-breaths feel the awareness moving up the hands to the shoulders. And on the out-breath, awareness trickling down again, down the arms and out the hands. With beginner's mind, we feel creative, curious, and at ease. Just moving awareness around, back and forth, up and down the arms, noticing, attuned to how it feels. Once again, we might contract this awareness for one last experiment, one last investigation, where we hold the whole body in awareness as a breathing, energized being, feeling deeply into the sitting posture the breath energy moving in and around the body from head to feet and feet to head, hands to shoulders, shoulders to hands, taking in the whole body as it feels in this moment. holding this body gently in awareness, we might combine bodily fabrication with verbal fabrication, changing how we feel by changing how we think. And we might engage in the most famous verbal fabrication exercise of all time, loving-kindness practice. By encouraging a kind of self-talk that wishes ourselves well, inviting a self-talk that wishes well for all beings, If we can notice how this self-talk changes the feelings of the body, we now have a nice balance between bodily fabrication and verbal fabrication. Noticing that when a being sitting, a being wake and aware, 
thinks thoughts of loving kindness, it can fabricate a sense of ease and well-being, a sense of healing and nourishment. May all beings be free from suffering. beings be at ease. May all beings be free from harm, safe and secure. May I be free from danger, worry and concern. May I know true love, true kindness, and true compassion in this lifetime. May all beings know true joy, true delight in present moment awareness. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from suffering. Is everyone feeling fully embodied in the moment? <laughs> so that is our beginning exploration. I know we've done some things like this before, but if you've been around for the last few weeks, you have a much greater context for understanding why we practice this way. Very important, very important. All seven factors, we're going to work with them all. As we move through, if you have any questions over the next week in practice, please feel free to reach out. We can email or Zoom or however you need to get your questions met. I will make the time. One last thing to remind everyone, uh, the spring retreat is on. It's the 24th, the last Saturday of April. We are now about three-fourths full. I think we have five or six more spots. We still have a few weeks, but we do have five or six more spots. It's filling up nicely, and I am having so much fun preparing. I'm so excited. Anyway, just wanted to remind y'all. So, my friends, next week we will do verbal and mental fabrication, and we'll combine the three. 
And we'll see how that feels. In the meantime, keep practicing, being gentle with yourselves, be curious, be authentically interested, and it will be a heck of a lot of fun. So thank you for your kind attention. So nice to spend the evening with you all. Take care of yourselves. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.